Good evening. We are going to uh, take a little break from our study of Hebrews. I know you guys are anticipating the next part of Hebrews, but we are going to actually be turning to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. I have uh, chosen to preach on this passage for two reasons tonight. Number one, we have been reading through the book of Leviticus, if you guys have not noticed, for our scripture reading. And we've been reading through portions of the Levitical law concerning lepers. And you may have been wondering, what are all these meticulous laws about? And in this passage in Mark's gospel, we will see how relevant these laws are. In fact, Jesus will make a direct reference to these portions in Leviticus that we've been reading when he commands in verse 44 to the leper, and go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But number two, secondly, we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews and we've been focusing on the perfect high priest of Jesus. And Hebrews is the perfect commentary to Leviticus. And we learned that through the perfect priesthood of Jesus Christ, those who are unclean and excluded from the presence of the Lord can be made clean and have access to his presence. And so this passage is Jesus's priesthood in action, in living colors. And so even as we take a book, a break from Hebrews directly, I hope that this passage will give you a greater appreciation of Hebrews and ultimately the glory in our Savior and perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. Let me read God's word to you, beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. We bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word and how precious your word is. We pray that your word would be a, serve as a mirror to our souls to reveal the uncleanness of our hearts. We pray for those here especially that don't know Christ. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them. I pray that through this passage that you would grant mercy and forgiveness and by your grace save them. And for us who are saved, we pray that we would renew and be reminded of the treasures of the gospel that we have. And look to Christ who has forgiven us of all our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Hebrews 4.15, you remember there was this memorable passage describing the sympathy of our great high priest. We're reading from the King James Version. We read, for we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. The Lord's heart is touched it says, by the feeling of our infirmities. And we see Jesus' heart of compassion in this leprous man whom Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Now, this is something that we see repeatedly in Mark's gospel, that the Lord delighted in touching needy people. No less than eight times in Mark alone is recorded that the Lord touched those with great needs. 
If you look back in chapter 1, verse 31, we read of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, where he says, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Then in chapter 5, when he heals Jairus' little daughter, we read in verse 31, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Again, we see the touching hand of Jesus. When you get to chapter 6, and Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth, we read in verse 5, and he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Then there is that memorable passage in chapter 7, verse 33, when he encounters a deaf and dumb man, and we read Jesus took him outside from the crowd by himself, and he said he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. We read again that Jesus touched him in order to heal him. Later in chapter 8, verse 23, he did something similar for a blind man at Bethsaida. We read, taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? After the man said that he sees men like trees, we read in verse 25, then again he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. Then finally, we see Jesus healing and raising up a demon-possessed boy in chapter 9, verse 27. And it says, but Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Now, in all these instances where Jesus touched someone in order to heal them, he did not have to touch them. He didn't need to do that to do it that way to heal them. In fact, we know from other instances, like the story of the centurion soldier, where the Lord Jesus had only to speak a word and people were healed, even if they were miles away. So we know that it was not necessary for Jesus to touch these people in order to make them whole. His word was and is enough. So what is the reason for Jesus's touch? We'll find the answer to that question in our passage, and we're going to be looking at two points in this, in this passage, we're, we're going to look firstly, looking at the leper, and then looking at our Lord. Let's then look firstly at the leper. I want you to notice two things about him. First, you need to understand and see the leper's plight, his condition. Now, let's try to situate ourselves in the context where we find this leper. Now, prior to this incident, we know that Mark introduces Jesus as the busy servant of the Lord. He came, not to, be, he came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to, I want to read uh, verses 32 to 34 of chapter 1 to give you a glimpse of how busy and demanding Jesus's life was. Look at verse 32. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Now, no one had seen anything like what Jesus was doing. The news about Jesus broke open. And if they had iPhones and social media back then, it would be ringing in Galilee. The miracle worker is here. He was healing people left and right, casting out demons. His name was on everyone's lips. And the news of his miracles were wrapping rapidly people began to swarm around him 
Now, it's not difficult for us to imagine the roads and the streets filled up with people, people eager to take a look at the miracle worker or to find some healing for themselves, for their loved ones. Now, what certainly was a surprise was his reaction when the disciples found him. His response to them must have astounded them. Just when the crowds were growing and the popularity of Jesus was increasing because of all the healings, he tells his disciples in verse 38, that's not why I came here. He doesn't care how many people like him. He certainly doesn't care that people are impressed by his miracles. He tells the disciples in verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. He's telling his disciples, look, you guys are missing the whole point of why I'm healing and performing these miracles. I'm not here to draw a crowd. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to seek and save the lost. Jesus was much more interested in the quality of the people's response to him than in the quantity of the crowd. Now, previously in verse 39, Jesus is going to other towns, preaching the gospel, casting out demons. And all of a sudden, in verse 40, Mark wants us to stop. It's like one of those fast movie forwarding scenes of someone's life, right? And all of a sudden, the director wants you to stop because there is an important scene to be shown. You can almost hear the dramatic music in the background. And a leper is introduced. Now, leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases and regarded as practically incurable. Now, when you think of leprosy, you think of the effect that it had on society when AIDS was first discovered. Now, something close to leprosy today can be known as Hansen's disease. Now, there was a doctor whose name was Paul Brand, and he dedicated much of his life to studying the disease and caring for lepers. He eventually wrote a semi-autobiography called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants, in which he describes his initial aversion to medicine after watching his father, a medical missionary in the southern hills of India. This is what he wrote. He said, over time, childhood memories of medicine had distilled into few scenes of suffering, and I now found these scenes abhorrent. There, were, there was the revolting scene of my parents working on women tormented by guinea worms, including one whose dragon tail poked out of the corner of her eye. And the memory of my father's most challenging patient, a man who survived a mauling by a bear, his scalp torn from ear to ear. And he says, there was one more scene, perhaps the most haunting of all. My father would not even let us watch him work on the three strange men who approached the clinic one afternoon. He confined us to the house, but I sneaked out and peered through the bushes. These men had stiffed hands covered with sores. Fingers were missing. Bandages covered their feet. And when dad removed those bandages, I saw their stumpy feet had no toes. I watched my father mystified. Could he actually be afraid? He did not banter with the patients. And he did something I had never before seen. He put on a pair of gloves before dressing their wounds. The men had brought a basket of fruit as a gift. But after they left, mother burned the basket along with my father's gloves, an unheard of act of waste. We were ordered not to play in that spot. Those men were lepers, we were told. Now, in third world countries, parasites sometimes chew on sleeping lepers. Now, if I showed you an image of it, and you don't really want to look at it on, on, on Google, you'll be sure to gag. A New Testament scholar named William Barclay explains leprosy this way. 
He says in Palestine, there were two kinds of leprosy. There was one which was rather like a very bad skin disease, and it was the less serious of the two. There was the one in which the disease, starting from a small spot, ate away the flesh until the wretched sufferer was left with only the stump of a hand or a leg. Now, this leper probably had the most serious kind of leprosy because in a parallel passage, Luke, the physician, describes this man as a man full of leprosy. This is not just some skin disease that he had. It was a radical disease of the whole man. It attacks not merely the skin, but the blood, the flesh, and the bones until your body begins to rot inch by inch. To use the words of Aaron, when he prayed for Miriam when she had leprosy, he said in Numbers 12, 12, that it is like a stillborn infant coming from his mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. Now, to make that even worse, leprosy robbed them of their name, occupation, habits, family, fellowship, a worshiping community. He had to live in a separate house. No one was allowed to touch him or serve him. This poor man with low looking at himself in the mirror and would probably not even take a quick look only to remind himself of his misery. And even if he avoided looking at the mirror, the rest of the world would be sure to remind him of his disfigured disease. According to Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, the person with leprosy must wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head uncovered, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Now, can you imagine how humiliating and how lonely you would feel? Consider if you were in the shoes of this leper. Imagine if every time you were in a public place, every time you went to the mall, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, and everyone would quickly disperse from you. Imagine going into the supermarket, down to the park, and the insidious sense of worthlessness and despair, knowing, knowing that others are looking down on you. Now, we know the teachings of the rabbis often went beyond what the Levitical law commanded. Custom of the rabbis said that you had to stay six feet from a leper. They said that if the wind blew toward a person from a leper, they had to keep a hundred feet away. One, ra one rabbi bragged that he would not even buy an egg on the street where he saw a leper, and another boasted that he threw rocks at lepers to keep them far from him. Sounds kind of like some of the recent CDC laws that were happening with COVID. Anyways, Josephus, the Jewish historian, he summarized the condition by saying that lepers were treated, I quote, as if they were in effect dead men. It was literally a living death. This was the leper's plight. And for these reasons, leprosy was considered a picture of the misery of sin and of its effects. I want you to turn quickly with me to Leviticus 13. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago in our midweek. And I'm going to pinpoint a couple of verses to show you how leprosy is a graphic picture of sin. Now we see, number one, like leprosy, sin is deeper than the skin. Verse 3 tells that these outward manifestations of sin are merely a window into the heart. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. Now the word translated wicked in this verse means sick. The NIV translates it beyond cure. Now in the 18th century England, if you were convicted of stealing, the judge could order, order the authorities to chop off your right hand. And if you were convicted a second time, they could cut off the left hand. And I recall reading about a pickpocketer who lost both hands but managed to succeed in his career because he perfected picking pockets with his teeth. Even if the authorities had pulled all of his teeth, it wouldn't have solved the problem because sin is deeper than the skin. Jesus says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile the man. But also we see like leprosy, sin starts out small and then it spreads. Verse 7 of Leviticus tells us that a leper may see a tiny white spot on his skin one day. And then it wasn't until many days that his flesh was consumed by the loathsome disease. Oh, what a picture of sin that, that is. Look, the, look at the example of David. One little look turned into a lingering look. And that lingering look turned into adultery. And that adultery turned into an unwanted pregnancy and then lies and then murder. Let down your guard here. Allow sin to get an inch in your life. And before you know it, it'll travel miles. And your whole life has been ruined and ransacked by the devil. But also we see like leprosy, sin defiles everything that it touches Verses 4 to 46, we read that when a man was struck with leprosy, he was totally and thoroughly defiled. So it is with sin. The prophet Isaiah confessed that he was a man of unclean lips. And then he spoke for all of us when he wrote in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Whatever sin touches, it defiles. Now, when you read Psalm 51 in David's prayer of confession, you can't help but notice how his sins defiled every part of his being, his eyes, verse 3, his mind, his ears, his bones even, and his heart and his mouth. His hands were stained with Uriah's blood, and all he could do was throw himself on the mercy of God and cry out, wash me. Also, like leprosy, sin isolates what solemn words we read in verse 46 he is unclean he shall dwell alone without the camp shall his habitation be not only was the leper forced to dwell on the fringes of society more devastating than that he was barred from the tabernacle of god where god's presence was represented there so isaiah 59 2 says but your iniquities your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But one more, like leprosy, sin is only fit for the fire. In verses 52 and 55 and 57, we read that a defiled garment was to be burned in the fire. It was not to be purified, but destroyed. Everything that the leper touched was burned. So it is with sin. When people spoke about hell, I'm sorry, when Jesus spoke about hell, he used the word Gehenna. 
which referred to this garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where their worm dies, does not die, and the fire is not quenched. You see, hell is God's eternal garbage dump prepared for the devil and for the angels and for all those who have rejected Christ Jesus. I wonder if you ever felt the consciousness of your sin like the consciousness of leprosy of this man. Have you ever experienced the plight of this leper in the experience of your sin? The great Dr. Lloyd-Jones said that unless you have experienced that, unless you have known that, you are not a Christian. You do not believe in Christ as your personal Savior. Unless, until you realize, he says, that you cannot possibly have felt the need of Christ. You may have, have felt the need of help and advice and comfort, but until you awake to the fact that your nature itself is sinful, until you realize that your trouble is that you yourself are wrong, and that your whole nature is wrong, until you realize that, you will, you will never have felt the need of a Savior. You see, it does not matter that you know how to talk about sin theologically. It does not matter that you are actively engaged in the life of the church. Friend, unless you have experienced that your very nature is itself sinful, you are, in the words of the Apostle Paul, dead in sin. You have never known Jesus Christ as Savior. So here is this leprous man. You, be, you can begin to imagine how devastated he was by the scourge of leprosy. We have seen the leper's plight. Let us now see his approach. Now the leper had undoubtedly heard of those with various diseases and how Jesus was healing them all. Perhaps he woke up one morning and and he heard that Jesus was in town. Maybe he learned about he, Jesus casting out demons and healing all kinds of diseases and awakened in his heart for the first time was hope. You see, faith awakened in his heart and he knew that he had to get to Jesus. This is what the plight of a sinner does to someone. Now I want you to notice how this leper approached Jesus. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him. And falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's something really important about the way this leper approached Jesus. He didn't do what many of us tend to do when we are struck with an unfortunate situation. He didn't blame God for the disease. He wasn't saying, God, you did this to me, therefore you must heal me. I deserve it. There was no spirit of entitlement, but one of humility. Notice posture. He came imploring. And kneeling down before Jesus, if you are willing, he said, there was an understanding of the sovereign authority and the power of Jesus. He did not question at all the power of Jesus, but only his willingness to heal such a worthless man. The issue was not, can you, Jesus, but will you, if you are willing, shows that this leper didn't make any demands, but he acknowledged that healing was God's to give. Now notice also that the leper did not ask to be healed, but that Jesus would make him clean. The leper reminds us all that we don't just need physical healing, but we need spiritual cleansing. And as one commentator said, this man not only needed to be changed, but he wanted to be changed. Lepers were required to keep their distance, but he was so determined 
that he broke the law and approached the Lord Jesus personally. And we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus was a friend of the outcast and they could come to him for help. The man humbled himself before the Lord and asked for mercy. Now, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do when approached by this unclean leper? What was his first impulse when he came across this leper? Rather than turning from the leper, he turns to him. Look how verse 41 begins. Moved with compassion. He moved toward this leper with compassion. Mark is the only gospel that mentions that on this occasion, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus' compassion lent a gentleness to everything that he did. Do not think for a second that Jesus was a stoic man. Mark wants us to understand that Jesus was emotionally affected by this encounter. Jesus' compassion went beyond having sympathy towards the human suffering of this man. He had compassion at such presence of evil in this world that people could be so insensitive toward this leper. He does more than understand, you see. Many people try to empathize with lepers and the outcasts of society, but Jesus' compassion went further. He was so deeply moved by this, and it led him to do what no one dared. Moved with compassion, it says in verse 41, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Still disfigured, with scabby skin, his rags still bloody and soaked with pus, the man who was thoroughly unclean, yet Jesus touched him. The touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than his words. Far from being repulsed, Jesus reached out. There is no need for, for Jesus to touch anybody, but he does so because he delights likes to. Jesus' divine love is real. Jesus, though divine, he gets his hands dirty. He gets on his knees for us. He serves us. He washes our feet. And this leprous man probably has not felt the touch of a soft and healthy hand in years. Think about this. If he had a wife, he could not hold her hand, embrace her, and feel the love of his own wife. If he had kids, he could not give them a kiss, a touch, a hug. Whatever his family status may have been, he must have longed for a touch. You know, there's a story of a man who was not a Christian and he had no family that cared or to care for. He belonged to no church. And in describing his loneliness, he said that he, has, he had his hair cut once a week just to have someone touch him with no misunderstanding. I mean, imagine the longing of a touch from this leper, how lonely he must have felt. Now, we can all speak of the touch of someone. Our church is not really a hugging church, but I've noticed in some churches I visit in Hawaii how people will hug you and greet you even if it's for the first time in meeting you. A warm hug does something words of greeting alone cannot. They make you feel at home. I'm not saying that we should start being a hugging church. If that's what you want to do, you should do it. But here, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Jesus' warm touch moved the man's heart and assured him of the true love of Jesus for an outcast as himself. But there's more going on in Jesus' touch of compassion. You see, according to Leviticus, you are labeled unclean if you touch someone with leprosy. This doesn't mean that you are hygiene-wise unclean. 
but morally as well. That is why the solution to the Old Testament law gave for uncleanness was not taking a bath and scrubbing your body with special leprosy soap, but the solution was the offering of a sacrifice. The problem, you see, was not dirt, but guilt. And one of the striking parts of the Old Testament system is that when an unclean person comes into contact with a clean person, that clean person becomes unclean. But here we see that when the cleanest person to ever walk the face of the earth comes into contact with an unclean leper, Jesus did not become unclean, but the sinner became clean. Say it another way, the leper did not transmit to Jesus the corruption of his disease. Rather, it was Jesus who transmitted to the leper the cleansing of his deity. R.T. France puts it this way, the touch which should have made Jesus unclean, in fact, worked in the opposite direction. You see, this is a monumental event. Our Lord initiated a new era of the kingdom at his coming of his life. Now, we've been learning a lot about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant in Hebrews. Well, listen to one commentator named Derek Tidball, who highlighted the difference between the two covenants, the Old and the New. He summed up the Old by saying, keep out, you are unfit, and the new message of Jesus, draw near, let me make you clean. Now, once Jesus touched the leper and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. Verse 42, a favorite word of Mark, immediately it says, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Only a work of Christ can accomplish this. Immediately the leper was cured. The knobs on his hands grew fingers before his very eyes. The disfigured color of his skin became like a baby's bottom. Back came his hairs and eyebrows and eyelashes. He could feel himself, no more bumps, no more holes in his body. Can you imagine the disciples witnessing all of this with their jaws open, eyes wide awake? Can you imagine and hearing this leper crying out, not unclean anymore, but I'm clean. I'm clean. And my dear friends, what Christ did for this unclean leper, he does for all of us who are unclean in our hearts. By Jesus touching the leper is like Jesus becoming fully human so that he can bear our uncleanness and our sins upon himself. This is precisely why Jesus came into the world. Jesus left the glories of heaven. He was perfectly one in fellowship with God the Father, but because of God's great love for us, because in his heart he was moved with compassion, God sent his only son into the world to take on our lowly and weak human flesh to live a perfect life. So that Jesus, the clean one, can die on the cross on behalf of unclean sinners like us. This is why we sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all. Those that are saved can say with the Apostle Paul, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. What he has done for this leper, he also does for us. Oh, that you might come and meet Christ today. He can take your leprous condition 
and make it white as snow. You see, this miracle of Jesus is meant to teach us a very important truth about ourselves. That we are all lepers. We are spiritual lepers. And this is what this image is meant to teach us. But unlike this leper, there are some of us tonight that are unaware of our sin and our gross condition. Some of us think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But you see, unless you see yourself as a leper, unless you see yourself as a sinner whose nature is itself evil, until you realize because you sin, you are guilty and in trouble and deserving of hell, you will never come to Christ for salvation. Why come to Jesus for forgiveness of sins and cleansing if you believe you are already clean? Can you see your leprosy? Can you say unclean, unclean? You know, as I continue to reflect on the plight of this hopeless leper, I learned that our response to Jesus needs to be the same as this leper's initial response because he made no demands. He didn't excuse his leprosy or minimize its impact. He didn't come to the Lord with a spirit of entitlement or why me, Lord, kind of attitude. He didn't doubt also the ability of Jesus to cleanse him of his leprosy. He merely bowed low, acknowledged his sovereignty as king, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, anyone who comes to Christ through the cross must come to him in the same way. I acknowledge that I am a sinful person. I acknowledge that deep down inside, I am diseased with sinfulness. I am, as Scripture says, dead in trespasses and sins. And so I come to you, Lord, as a diseased and depraved sinner. I come and bring nothing in my own hands that would in any way make me acceptable and attracted to you. And I am at your mercy. Forgive me and cleanse me. Jesus touches us. He takes all of our impurities, your leprous condition. He says, give me your dirty, sinful self. And I will bear the wrath that you deserve so that you may be clean. Will you not come and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? But this picture of the gospel is not complete in this miracle. We not only see Jesus' compassion, but also his command. I want you to notice back in Mark's gospel that Jesus first sternly warns him not to say a word about this miracle because of the frenzy that it would create and from a premature crowning of Jesus as a Messiah because the people only thought of Jesus as a political Messiah. But Jesus also commands something else. He says, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, there are two reasons for this command. The first was primarily to testify that Jesus was indeed the true Messiah. Now, from the time the Mosaic law was completed, there was no record, no record of any Jew who had been healed of leprosy. Now, while Miriam was healed of leprosy, this was before the completion of the law. Naaman was healed of leprosy, but he was a Syrian Gentile, not a Jew. And so from the time of the Mosaic law was completed, there was never a case of any Jew being healed of leprosy. And although the priesthood had all the detailed instructions as to how they were to respond in a case of a healed leper, they never had the opportunity to put these instructions into effect because from the time that the Mosaic Law was given, no Jew was ever healed of leprosy. And as a result of this, it was taught by the rabbis that only the Messiah would be able to heal a Jewish leper. And so when Jesus says, show yourself to the priest, 
for a testimony to them. You see, Jesus was making a claim to be the Messiah himself. It forced the priest to make a decision regarding Jesus' messianic claims. But there was a second reason for sending the leper to the priest. When we look at the requirements of the law in Leviticus 14 for someone being healed of leprosy, we can see the clear reasons why Jesus did this. Once it was acknowledged that the disease had been healed, the priest initiated one of the most elaborate ceremony rites of sins of the law. We can summarize the procedure by noticing the progression of reintroducing, reintegrating the individual. There were three concentric circles, if you can picture that. The infected person was outside the camp, verses 3 to 9. The person then was permitted inside the camp, verses 8 to 9. And finally, he was permitted to enter the tent of meeting, verses 10 to 20. This leper was then to go and present himself to the priest and get a certificate of cleansing on the basis of a ceremony. And the leper was to come to the priest, and the priest was to go outside the camp where the leper was. And then the priest was to take an earthen vessel, two birds, some cedar and hyssop. He was to kill one of those birds and let the blood of that bird pour into that earthen vessel And then the priest would take the blood of the dead bird, apply it to the wings of the live bird. And then he took that living bird and with blood dripping from his wings out into the open field, he would let that bird loose and the bird would be flying up into the air. And the leper would see the blood dripping from the wings of the bird. And he would understand that the price of his cleansing And the message that would come to the leper would be, I am clean because of the blood. And after this step, the diseased person could then enter into the camp. But he could not live in his house yet. After a period of seven days of observation, on the eighth day, the healed person was then allowed to enter into the tent of meeting, presenting animal and grain offerings. The cleansed leper would finally be declared clean and fit for God's presence. You see, by going through with the ceremony, this leper would be finally restored to his God, to his family, and to his community. And the unique thing about this ceremony is that the priest treated the cleansed leper like a fellow priest. We read in Leviticus 14 how the priest put the blood of the trespass offering on the man's right ear, his right thumb, and the right big toe. He then sprinkled oil on the man seven times and then put oil on the blood that was already on his ear and thumb and toe. And after that, he poured oil on the man's head. And the significance of all of this is that this ceremony was very similar to the ceremony Moses used when he ordained Aaron and his sons. Oh, this former leper, would be treated now like a priest. This is the grace of God in reversing a man's plight to a redeemed man. And this is precisely how the story of Mark's gospel ends. Would you turn to Mark's gospel? Did you notice how the text ends? It says Jesus stayed outside in lonely places. Mark began this story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. But at the end of the story, Jesus is outside in lonely places. Jesus and the leper had traded places. The leper had lived outside in lonely places. 
But in love and by the saving power of Jesus, exchanged places with the leper. The leper came home, restored to his family, to a happy life. And Jesus took his place among from people. He had to be there because of the work he came to do for us required. He had exchanged a comfortable life, you see, for a much difficult one. And ultimately, this is what Jesus would do on the cross for the leper and for all of us as he would exchange places with us who deserve to die on the cross. The great news of the gospel is that, is that by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, we can now come to the presence of God and his people shouting joyfully, I'm clean, I'm clean because of what Jesus has done for me. There is no greater joy than that. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is no untouchable person for you. Thank you, Christ, for you touch even the foulest sinner. We acknowledge that we are unclean, born of unclean lips. We often think ourselves more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and thus we are proud and arrogant, blinded by our own sinful nature. Help us, O Lord, to have the same humble heart like this leper and cleanse us completely and wash us clean. Thank you for the shed blood and help us to say with the Apostle Paul that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.